Welcome to Tilly's Trans Tuesdays. This is the final part of Tilly's 2023 Trans Rep in Media. This week, we conclude our talk about trans rep in television, and we'll then look at the bigger picture overall, including numbers from the movies discussed two weeks ago. I'm Tilly Bridges, your host, and I'm joined by my writing partner, my best friend, my wife, our token cis representation, the only lady I'd want to record an unplanned audio pickup with, Susan Bridges. Hello. That's a secret only Jillian will get. Uh... Our returning guest is critic and journalist Maureen Mo Ryan, a contributing editor at Vanity Fair who has written for Entertainment Weekly, The New York Times, EW, Salon, GQ, and Vulture. Prior to joining Vanity Fair, she worked as a television critic at Variety, Huffington Post, and the Chicago Tribune. In addition to criticism, opinion pieces, and feature stories about the entertainment industry, she has spent much of the last decade writing in-depth pieces on matters of inclusion, misconduct, and abuse in Hollywood, and on efforts to make the industry better on a variety of fronts. Her first book, Burn It Down, Power, Complicity, and a Call for Change in Hollywood, is a deeper exploration of these issues and was released last June. Welcome back, Mo. Thank you for having me again. Okay. Do you want to remind folks where they can find you online after listening? Yes. You can find me through my link tree, which is under Maureen Ryan, and also MoRyan.com has links to a lot of places that I hang out. I'm also on Instagram, MoRyan66. Okay. Let's move on with the list. Our Flag Means Death Season 2, 1. Jim is still on the show and is still non-binary and is played by the non-binary and delightful Vico Ortiz. Sadly, this show is now cancelled, which happens to openly queer shows all too often. I talked about that a lot back in the 2022 Trans Repping Media, episode 3 of this show. And as Mo mentioned, that's something that she wrote an article about for Variety back in 2017, and it's still happening. There's a link to that article in the show notes. I'm going to miss this show so much. I really am. And, you know, so I was one of the people who actually was among those most prominently hyping the hundred back in the day. And then there was a very, very, very large reaction when the barrier gaze trope. Yeah. Especially when it comes to queer women on screen was, you know, played out on that show. I was very much at the forefront of that, the coverage of that, and the writing about that, which, side note, made the studio very, very mad at me for a very long time. Let's just say that via various channels, I understand that some people continue to think that in that situation, I was the problem, which... Oh, no. Okay. No. Wow. Talking about the problem is the real problem. If we're going to talk about a problem in Hollywood, and if we're going to come down on... I'm the source of it. I mean, the problem is that I yell a lot about how there isn't enough, you know, awesome queer 
yeah based py- pirating on television like if, if you're saying i'm the problem behind that big controversy yes i will accept that but you know one thing that i read and i promoted and linked to and pushed forward a lot of folks who are writing they had stats on all these things stats are really important that's why i'm glad that you know they're you're among those keeping them stats are really really important because what they show is that a lot of people in hollywood want to rely on what i call anecdata yeah oh well i but but i was in an elevator with a trans person two weeks ago okay cool were they bringing the sandwiches in or were they the executive producer of that project (laughs) i don't know what they but they're but but i but what but no your anecdata is not a thing I'm glad that you're coming into contact with more people who are not exactly like you, but let's look at the actual data. So the the, the data on, you know, all all sorts of queer, non-binary, and trans representation has always been fairly dire. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that somebody said about during that time, basically that was when I believe that I I think a lot of people, a lot of queer and non-binary people said, especially a lot of queer women, I'm not going to be happy with crumbs anymore. And I'm done with that. Yeah, I'm done. There was actually like a lot of fury around that. But what one person said was, queer women are like, we're nomads. We go from show to show to show. Like, even if the L word is problematic, we go to, because it's our one thing. Or like, right. they just, like they, there was just this, the image of, of being kind of like a pop culture nomad or migrants where you like you just have to find okay wait everybody come over here there's some crumbs over here or what about this over here there's like a a lot like you know there have been certain shows that have come along and I feel like Hollywood then says well you know you got reservation dogs and you yeah. had two seasons of Rutherford Falls so but we did that we did the native representation thing did we did we did, did when did we do that like two shows out of right. the two million that have been made. So I, I'm shows very about alive. White guys this... know, right? That's yeah. If we did those, huh. and and the thing is, whenever someone says, "Well, we just couldn't make you know our flag means death work financially," just gonna again throw it out there. We'll never get tired of doing this. In one calendar year, 2021, total compensation for David Zaslav's, the head of Warner Brothers Discovery, was 246 million dollars in the past decade that man by himself has made a billion dollars at the start of the writer's strike there was a visual going around of like seven or eight top yes, people at the yeah. either the agencies or tops of the studios among this eight people there was literally like eight to ten billion dollars that they had made in the last whatever it was like these people are averaging like you know the heads of netflix make 40 million dollars each Probably they're like people just under the top level are making twenty, thirty million dollars each. These shows, I don't. So when when people say we couldn't afford to do X, no, you didn't want to do X. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. You didn't want to do it. There are no more Why creative are... accountants than in Hollywood. Exactly. Sure. So every so often there's a little, you know, minor wave of you know well we've here we've got you know latina creators or here's some there's been been incredible shows in these with with creators from these historically excluded communities and might maybe there's like a little wave but then the wave goes away and then it just goes back to the status quo which is that yep there's just not a lot of it and so i just 
I really want to push back on this idea that we will see, have seen, I mean, I don't, I don't know that anyone said with our flag means death that it was specifically a financial decision, but there's a large retrenchment going on in the industry. You know, we could still be watching new seasons of one day at a time, which is a rounding error for the, the cost of a season of that yep. show, the cost of the season of our flag. It's a rounding error for these companies. They don't want to make them anymore and they want to spend a little bit of money to make the show, make a show for two or maybe three seasons and then put that money back into the pot. And, you know, that's what's led to just the precariousness of people even being able to make, make their way in this industry. And it just, it just break, it breaks my heart that especially trans queer communities get their hearts broken over and over again and it's not okay it's like i don't have a solution for it i'm just saying the efforts going into creating a new path for that show maybe coming back elsewhere i hope they succeed i'm a never say never person in this industry because we've seen everything come back so if there's a way to do this and can i can i actually come up with an our flag spicy take sure There was some speculation around, and I, this was one of my reactions, and I didn't know. I was speaking from a place of complete ignorance. I did no reporting around this. I wondered, well, you know, Taika Waititi is a very in-demand yeah. creative person. Did he maybe, maybe he didn't want to do it anymore. But then David, I believe David Jenkins, the creator of Our Flag Means Death, said it wasn't an issue of Taika not wanting to do it. I believe my, my facts are okay there. So, but even so, even if, even if it was, you know, like, the thing is Taika Waititi parachuted into what we do in the shadows once or twice to just yep. kind of like come in and, you know, be, be funny and be great. And so I think that one of my, I think it's very obvious in the first season of our flag means death, which is, you know, we have all watched like 10 to 20 times, obviously like, <laughs> let's all be honest with each other. The sharing place, it's a safe place. It, to me, it seemed fairly obvious. And again, going by conjecture that Taika was, not available to shoot much of the first part of the first season. Like, I think he must have had, like, one of his many millions of commitments going on. So, you know, he doesn't really, Blackbeard's not a big part of that season until I I would say the second half of the season. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that that's when our flag stole my heart because this ensemble is so good. Yeah. The ensemble is so good. I honestly, a lot of what they're doing is like they're doing, it's just hijinks on land. Put them on land. Have them run a bed and breakfast. I don't care. Like, you know, don't. If, I would if watch Taika those characters do, do anything. Stuff, They're so good. I would watch them do anything, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, it's like, here's here's the ensemble. And, you know, Blackbeard is off doing a thing over here for, you know, he's, oh, he went on a voyage to Brazil. You know, I don't, that's fine. Like, do what you need to do to make the show what it needs to be. And if it, there's yeah. some folks who can't do the whole season, but. Part of what breaks my heart is that there were so many different characters on that show, and a lot of them were queer, but they were all a different kind of queer. Like, they weren't, like, right. the, the token, you know what I mean? It was just, exactly. they were messy, they had relationship drama, they had crushes, they hung out, they, you know, talked things through as a crew, they had arguments, you know, it was just, it was just a delightful place to escape to, and there was a lot of joy and celebration and silliness. Yeah, there was there was a reality of their existence kind of on the run and, you know, often being persecuted, which is like definitely an allegory 
I feel well. But it was also like, oh, we're just having goofy times and, and having a good time with each other and enjoying each other's yeah, whatever, you know, like our, our whole vibe, you know. So it was just, I'm just going to miss it for a lot of reasons. I hope the the fan efforts to revive it bear fruit, but if they don't, it definitely fits into a larger pattern of this kind of show having too short of a run. You yeah, it's just it's yeah. a thing that happens, and I'm, I'm it sadly I'm is sorry about it. Yeah, well, that actually leads right into the next show that I was going to talk about, which was Perry Mason season two. It had no trans rep. Now, this is the HBO sort of revival of Perry Mason, and I really, really love this show, especially season two. It's so good. And season it's two is beautiful. It's so beautiful. Every shot is like a painting, right? It's gorgeous. But season two was way more queer than season one. Very queer. It had multiple queer characters. Multiple queer characters, a prominent gay man, a prominent lesbian. And I, I can't help but notice that the second the show got a lot more queer, it was canceled. So, mm-hmm. you know, this keeps happening and it's terrible. But it, it, well, it's definitely worth the watch. Yes. I want to, here's the thing. I know a lot of showrunners. I know a lot of people who are pitching and creating shows. I absolutely believe that a lot of them want to, I mean, I, I really, if you do a podcast in the future on Star Trek Strange New Worlds and or Captain Angel, and I don't get to have a little like guest cameo, I'll be like a <laughs> tiny bit sad, but it's fine. I'm fine. It's, I won't be crying like much. No, but like there's so many people who want that, who want to open up their shows and yeah. have trans characters and have trans adventures and romance and rom-com and action and, you know, all of it. They're not the ones controlling the budget. They're not the ones controlling uh-huh. the cancellation. And the people who yep. make those decisions, you don't, they they evade scrutiny. They evade consequences. And I, you know, look, we could talk all, absolutely, there need to be more trans creators, producers, directors, cinematographers, actors, 100%, yeah. all of the all of the roles, all of the crew, all of the executives, whatever. I mean, like, there needs to be all more of all of those things is what I'm trying to say. But at the same time, Hollywood cannot be made into a better place unless everybody's pulling in the same direction. Right. And I do think that a lot of cis creators, the education that they've all been on, which again, as you see from these terrible hacky jokes that come up again and again yeah. that aren't jokes that are real dumb the, the education process is the journey and it's not complete right yes absolutely but i have seen even if even if just to reference the hundred again even in the last seven eight years the educational journey that people have been on yeah they're trying i think there are a lot of good-hearted good-intentioned smart people who want to do this and if if, if fans want to be wound up about something be wound up sure if the creator made bad choices or if, like yes accountability is definitely a thing that should exist but if it's about cancellation cutting it short cutting the budget cutting all the queer characters cutting out like you know that's nine times out of ten not the creator going i want to de-gay my show that's mm-hmm. not what they're doing it's something yeah. else is happening or i'd like to not have a show anymore i don't know any tr- you know, like it's very rare for the. I don't. I'm sure this the Perry Mason guys were not like, boy, we'd like to not have a job. That would be great. Let's do that, <laughs> right? Yeah, that, that that's the part that I again, I don't have an answer to that. But there's a whole cadre of executives that are insulated that make these decisions around budgets and renewals and who gets to make stuff 
And a lot of times we don't even know their name and they get to skate away from the fact that the rep is still not great. Yeah. There has been a lot of progress, but we need a whole lot more. Exactly. Oh, Hollywood loves nothing more than a very, very enthusiastic bit of backsliding. No, 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 one thing I've learned. It's like, oh, the backslide. Do that. Let's backslide a lot. And then get mad at people who are like, wait, it's back to worse than what it was before. But we did the thing over the, remember the thing we did? We did it for five minutes. That was enough. We definitely heard that. Yes, Can we we be, are we still doing this? Yes. Guess what? Trans people still exist. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. I was going to say, we've we're looking for shows for middle America. Oh, yeah. Which is code for... Oh, I wrote about that in my book. All of yeah. You know you know who lives in middle America? Queer people. No way. Trans people. We're there, too. there too. We yeah. are. Okay. So strange. I live in middle America. You do? You know what I really love? Great storytelling. Right. I live in the middle of the country. And this has always been one of my vantage points as a critic. It's like... When you say, will it play in Peoria? Is it middle America? Literally, I can drive to Peoria and be there in like 40 minutes. Like, I know this. I'm like, don't you know, people don't get to do that. Don't do the coding thing. You know, Uh we know what we know what that code is. We know what that means. Yeah. And as I pointed out in my book for the years and years, I was like, oh, well, the advertisers, Hollywood loves to outsource the reason it continues to make questionable decisions. Sure. Advertisers. What are you going to do? Oh, okay. So HBO didn't have advertisers and women were depicted as, you know, sexual assault victims or, you know, died or were, you know, naked. And that was the yeah. whole thing. That was not an advertiser that said, well, but we, but, but, but men control the remote. Do they though? I don't know. That doesn't seem right. That don't prove that. But anyway, well, and now it's going back to exactly that, even with or without advertisers. They want to, you know, we talked about the Cleons and cloning them. Yeah. They want to take, they want to do a Cleon thing with Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. What are the odds that they want to clone that one guy who says he writes all of his shows on his own? And I'm like, you say so, pal. Sure. You, buddy. I think. Yeah. 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 No, they, it's really surprising that a cadre of white male executives at the top of the heap want to all, they all want to clone Taylor Sheridan. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Totally coincidental. Poker Face Season 1, Zero. One episode has a DJ pretending to be a right-wing bigot. As part of his shtick, he says, what I do in the bathroom definitely isn't gender neutral. Is this a joke at trans people's expense? Is it a joke about people who joke about trans people? Unclear. We are just sitting there to like, this doesn't mean. But it made me uncomfortable even in context. So I'm going to count that as a joke about trans people. It was so weird. So weird. (laughs) In an otherwise really great show. Okay. Quantum Leap Season 1. Three and many, many more. I mean, the new Quantum Leap. The new, Um, yeah, the new Quantum Leap. This show also got an honorable mention last year when we were partway through it. We are now presently partway through season two. Ian is a main cast member and is played by the non-binary and superb Mason Alexander Park. Ian uses they-them pronouns and in season one has a line about gender being an artificial construct and not what everyone assures you is the truth. It blew my mind when I heard it. And then I discovered that that line was in that episode because it was suggested by trans writer Shakina, who's on the writing staff. Do you see what having trans people on your staff can do? Amazing. If you listen to them. Right? If you listen. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's important. Yes. 
further, episode 12 of season 1, Let Them Play, was written by Shakina, who also directed and guest stars, and is about trans kids in sports. It's an amazing and direly needed episode, so much so that I interviewed Shakina about it when it came out early last year, and that's episode 7 of this show. The episode features a teen trans girl and a lot of other trans teens in background roles, and you absolutely need to see it. It's on Peacock and works mostly on its own, even if you've not seen any other episodes of the show. As I mentioned, season two is only partway through release, but Ian remains a main cast member, and I know Shakina is writing another episode this season that will feature a trans character in a binder, so keep an eye out. Reservation Dog Season 3 1. Non-binary actor Elva Guerrera plays Jackie, though Jackie is cis. I missed them last year because I didn't know they were non-binary, another example of how if they don't make it clear a character isn't cis, you're going to miss it if you don't look up every member of the cast. Cheese still introduces himself with pronouns and kind of gets made fun of for it. At one point, someone trying to get his attention says, hey, he, him, his, as if it's a nickname. But then later, another cis man replies by saying his pronouns are the same, and that's not treated like a joke at all. So I think this one is too unclear for me to count as a joke at trans people's expense. However, the quote-unquote man-moon joke about men with periods from last season got a callback, and that definitely counts as a joke at our expense. Hey, some trans men have periods and they're still men. That's not funny. It's just life. I do love cheese, though. Cheese is, like, so pure. He's, I don't he's, see it as a hurtful thing. He's so earnest. Yeah. yeah, so earnest, yeah, yeah. yes. Sandman Season 1. One, Mason Alexander Park appears again playing Desire, and they-them pronouns are used. Secret Invasion. Zero. Aliens called Skrull can shapeshift, and sometimes they swap genders, but nothing is said about it or done with it in a story sense. Which is probably for the best. Probably for the best. Shrinking Season 1. Zero. Somebody Somewhere Season 1. One. Fred Rococo. Oh my god. A trans man played by trans man Murray Hill, and he steals every scene he's in. In one episode, a waiter brings him a drink and says, Sir, uh, ma'am, and then stumbles over his words. Fred says, right the first time, and leaves him a big tip. This is how you do a joke about trans people that's not at our expense. This joke is clearly about the waiter's perception of trans people, and it's not cruel, even if it is a little uncomfortable. In a later episode, we see Fred has a bomb shelter, he's converted to Fred's Poker Palace, and there's a progress flag hanging inside. And then Somebody Somewhere Season 2, 1, Fred Rococo is back and is great as ever, and in Episode 2, his fiancée talks about having to come out to her parents and tell them he was trans. He and his fiancée get married in the season finale, and his wife thanks her dad for coming, implying he's come around. It's really, really great. I think it might be my favorite trans rep of the entire year. Fred Rococo. This is so like, good. really gentle. Yes. Like, very gentle. Yeah. Like, with Fred correcting the waiter. Yeah. It was very gentle, and yet also Mm -hmm. clear was a correction. And it was funny the way they did it. So, yeah, it was beautiful. And I feel like, so first of all, I have to say that I went for a walk at one point, and I came across some signage that made it clear that they filmed the show, like, literally 10 minutes from my house. Oh, wow. They felt like there was, it was basically the Somebody Somewhere production office. So I was like, yeah. that's Fred Rococo's wardrobe rack. Because it was like this big glass office. It's a long story, but like it basically was a wow. former office campus. And they took it over to be their like production hub. I think yeah. it was season one. And I was like, oh my gosh, so cool. 
so yes, a lot of the things in the show I recognize literally from like, oh yeah, I've been to that place. Like like they so, they film yeah, in yeah. towns around here. I know like where they are. But I think more more overall than that, I love that it's gently radical. I don't know if that's a thing. I just made it up. Let's just decide yeah. that it's a thing. Because it is about how I get very tired of how people depict the Midwest and middle America. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like there are, it's so much more complex. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you do, but like we're, you know, I think a lot of people who never escaped the LA, DC, New York bubble have preconceptions about what the Midwest is and what the middle of the country is and who lives there and how they get along. Even I had my, you know, my, perceptions blown apart because for various election cycles I've done door knocking just to, like get out the vote and also like a certain amount of like hey do you know where your, where your polling place is like trying to just like I don't know democracy thinking maybe we could try that even my perceptions of who lives in the exurbs like who lives in communities depicted like the ones in you know somebody somewhere who lives there you can knock on a door and it's South Asian family. You can knock yeah. on a door and it's a black family. You can knock on the next door and like who you think you're going to encounter in these places and how those people interact with each other. There's just a lot of stereotypes around that. And, and saying some, saying a state is a blue state or a red state gives you absolutely no conception of, Hey, in this community, there are, there's, you know, the city councilor is trans and nobody has an issue with that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so yeah. much more varied. And I think that's really the radical part of the gently radical proposition that is that show is like queer people can just exist and have angst and do stuff and get married and just can li- are, are everywhere. It's what you've been saying all along. Trans people have always existed. Yeah. And yeah. that that's what the show is reaffirming by putting it in a place where you would expect from sort of like stereotypical media media narratives for it to be one way. And it's, it's not, it's not only that way. It's a lot of ways. Yeah. And you're right. It's like, it's even gently radical in what it does with Fred because he's like an agriculture professor at a college. And yet he loves the college. He loves the college sports team. He has a party bus dedicated to the school. It's, you know, he's just so right. much fun and he's got his own goals and desires that exist outside of I'm a trans man, you know, and it's so, thank you. It's, yes, it's so beautiful. But also just like on the other side, it's like, like you were saying, people think a certain way about who lives in the Midwest. Yeah. Well, people also think a certain way about people who live in California. That's like true. in our, where we live right now, like our neighborhood is diverse. It's gotten even more diverse since yeah. we lived here. But you can walk three blocks and hit the most conservative white people you've ever seen in your life. Like mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and there's a lot Absolutely. of Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, there's a lot of there's a lot of people. There's okay. I'm just gonna say it. There's a lot of biased, bigoted people in the entertainment industry. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. you find a lot more of them the higher you go. Yeah. And you know, part of part of the dilemma that these companies face is that they don't want to alienate anyone who is also bigoted. I, I, again, I I, let me rephrase that because I'm not saying dollars. I, I don't know if the companies, you know, it's not in their founding charter. Like we're going to do a bigoted, well, you know, it's, yeah. that's, but they want to make dollars. They want to not alienate anyone who might be, you know, bigoted. And so this is why we keep seeing like, what? There's a elf in this story who's black. Yeah. 
yes why like they don't want to wade into it you know like yeah. the whole disney and don't say gay in florida yeah disney just stepped in it again and again yeah like I liberal think hollywood is a real thing yeah no, it's, no it's not conservative it's so conservative yeah and the, by the way liberal media have you seen who owns the media at all right Do it's you not have the liberals. Any... no it's it's not owned oh, by yes yeah. so okay yeah I, I love that show and i'm so glad i think it's coming back for a third season so i, mean, yes. I, I just want to i know that we're over time but i just want to pick on, up on something that you said tilly if you want to know who the story's about look at whose desires and aspirations we know about what does yeah. fred want what was breaking bad about it was about what walter white wanted to some degree what jesse wanted it was not really about what skylar wanted she wanted what she wanted was in reaction to what he wanted right so that's why i will go back to i mean i know not the topic of this podcast but captain angel on strange new world yeah back in season three we riot that was directed by a trans director it was like I knew what Captain Angel wanted and I knew why Captain Angel wanted it and it was cool and it was just action and it was costumes and it was all of it but like that's really the baseline that should be the the bare minimum please don't just have someone come in I rewatched Orphan Black recently yeah I really enjoyed yeah I didn't watch the last season previously just because peak TV oh. was peaking. So okay. I, I okay. finally got through the whole thing. And in season one, there's just an extremely awkward episode where they have a male, a, a guy. That's clone. right. I remember that. And it's just, there's no follow through to any of that. They maybe mention yeah. him. And he never comes more. up again. It's just like, look, I didn't even remember this until... person. Okay. Wow. Bye. And that was, yeah. it was like, it was so awkward. Like we're trying to have this representation. I'm like, I I don't, what, I, okay. I, but yeah. I don't like, I don't know why you did that. It had no, it did not affect the story. As you've said so many times about different things. Yeah. There was no effect on the story. Red Rococo is part of the story. He is. And it's not just about, it's like Fred is multidimensional. Yes, exactly. Wonderful. And the next two shows I'm going to talk about are Star Trek shows. So this is a good point to mention it yeah. just because you mentioned Angel that when they showed up last season and I talked about them, I believe in the 2022 trans urban media, I was so excited because of Jesse James Keitel, right? She's a trans woman. But at the time that that was filmed, her pronouns were sort of more non-binary, but she didn't consider herself to be a trans woman. Then she considered herself non-binary. And so Angel was non-binary. But when I first saw her, I thought, okay, she because she was identifying as a trans woman by the time the show, the episode came out. And I thought, I'm finally seeing the first trans woman in Star Trek. I can exist in this world. And then, but Angel was non-binary. So I was a little heart. I love Angel. I was so glad they were there. But I was a little heartbroken because I thought I was probably going to see a real trans woman in Star Trek. So maybe someday, I'm hoping. Okay. So Star Trek Picard Season 3 had one. Jin Maylie plays Kova Rin Esmar. Jin is non-binary, but the character isn't mentioned as such. And I don't think Kova's pronouns were mentioned or used, and it's a very small role. Star Trek Strange New World Season 2. 1. Non-binary actor Noah Lamana plays the new transporter chief Jay. Jay is not mentioned as non-binary, and looking back, I'm not even sure they had any lines. 
But the episode Ad Astra Per Aspera is a very blatant and wonderful trans allegory, and it meant the absolute world to me. It will be getting me a write-up in a future Trans Tuesday. It has become my favorite episode in all 800-plus hours of Star Trek now, so it, may, it means a whole lot to me. Succession Season 4 Zero. Ken makes a, quote, We're going to give your guns hormone therapy joke. Ravenhead, a Tucker Carlson type on uh, pseudo-Fox News, is on a right-wing rant about liberals and says, Your son, she's now your daughter. That's two trans jokes. Real fun. Yeah, but, I mean, right-wingers are dumb. They were bad people, at least. Yeah, they're bad. But everyone on that show was a bad person. So. Uh, okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Superman and Lois, Season 3, Zero. Ted Lasso, Season 3, Zero. The character of Zava says... Time is a construct, like gender and some alphabets, which I was actually really happy with until it's then revealed that he kind of spouts nonsense and nobody believes most of the things he says. Not counting that one as a joke, though, it's too obtuse. But there are multiple instances of cis women saying things like, suck my dick, or I'll just give her the tip, or well, there goes my lady boner. I feel like there were more than just those three, but those were the ones I wrote down. So I'm counting it as three jokes about ha-ha, wouldn't it be funny if a woman had a penis? Also very, very tired of these. How about we all stop making these jokes, please and thank you. And there's something dismal in the fact that everyone points to Ted Lasso as a show about kindness and how warm and wholesome it is, and they're right. And even that show implicitly finds the idea that trans women exist to be hilarious. Effing ouch. Undone, season one, zero. Upload, season three, Zero. Okay, settle in. This was this show was a big problem last year, and it is again. Right in the season premiere, they continue the joke from last season about how hilarious it would be for a man to be pregnant. And again, this show is a comedy, and it's all played for laughs. This isn't a poignant moment. They're not exploring the idea or even acknowledging that there are trans men who can get pregnant. The long, protracted scene with jokes about this from season two was one of the worst bits of laughing at the very idea of real things trans people can be. I was utterly dismayed they immediately brought it back to do it again. In another episode, the rich executives who own the digital world people can upload to when they die is addressing the group and says something to the effect of ladies and gentlemen and other gendered people. I honestly didn't go back to check to get the exact wording because this show is skating on thin ice in terms of jokes about trans people already, but the crowd didn't seem to have anyone remotely non-gender conforming, and certainly none of the speaking characters were. So if it was an attempt to be inclusive, it failed as there was no apparent inclusion, but it feels the much more likely scenario is this was yet another pronoun joke which the show has absolutely done before. In another episode, a man wants to wear a fanny pack in which he carries things like ointment and lip balm, and that's treated as hilarious, which feels like half a step from men with purses are hilarious. And then, in the same episode, a man appears in a version of the Princess Leia slave bikini, and other men remark that it's objectifying, but he's owning it and subverting it. And on another show, I might think that was legit, or not even really commenting on anything at all. But on this show... It's already set me up to think the worst with things related to gender, so I don't know. Because there's also a running gag about how funny it is that one guy really platonically loves another. And every time he says, I love you, it makes the other one uncomfortable and he tells him to stop. And it's always 100% played for laughs. So it feels like that's also making fun of the idea of men having emotions. I like a lot of what this show does, but in a lot of ways its views on gender feel really regressive and possibly harmful. Like in one scene, a lady is experiencing misogyny from men at work, 
and her reply is to threaten to seduce the men's parents, make them fall in love with her, ruin their marriages, and then dump them. In what world? I mean, what the heck? It does feel very dated. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, could have been written 10 years ago. 20? Or it, more. Yeah. It was, I don't know. Strange. Okay, let's move on. What We Do in the Shadows, Season 5, Zero. The Witcher, Season 3, Zero. The Witcher, Blood Origin, Zero. Yellow Jackets, Season 2. Two. Trans woman Nicole Maines plays Lisa and recurs through the entire season. At first, it seemed like she was going to fall into the super harmful trans women are violent and dangerous trope. She was overseeing a character who was abducted and tied up, but they actually deftly avoided that. Then I thought she was going to fall into the trans women are killed or victims of violence trap, but they deftly avoided that too. I again thought she was going to be killed in the season finale, but that didn't happen either. It's interesting that the show kind of set it up, intentionally or otherwise, to make you think the character would fall into these dangerous tropes, but then swerved and surprised you, especially given that the characters never ever mentioned as trans. Were they expecting the audience would know as Nicole Maines is one of the few trans actors many people know by name? Was it all chance? I don't know. I have no idea. For all we know, the character of Lisa is cis, so it's impossible to say. Lisa was a smaller role, but one of the main cast, Liv Hewson, is non-binary. They play Van, who is cis. And it's a show all about messy women. It is. I love it. Am I allowed to add a show to your to the roster? Yes, yes, please do. Doctor Who. Okay. Yes, yes. I've heard. We yes, heard that. Penny is in it, right? This season? Yes. yes. Well, so it's in, a, it's in a weird spot in terms of, I think it's partly pandemic related, but they went in a transition from... Uh, Jodie Whittaker's doctor and then the big reveal they had a series of specials last fall and like the last few months of the year Jodie Whittaker transitioned back into David Tennant who is considered a new incarnation of the doctor so like the doctors are have a, each one has a number right. I believe David Tennant 2.0 was four, two, I don't know it's in the teens I've been watching this show my whole life and okay I'm going to just do a non-humble brag at a recent Doctor Who con in Chicago. I got to meet Janet Fielding, who played Tegan Javanka and was a companion of Peter Davies and Tom Baker's. So, like, in the 80s when I was a kid watching the show. And yeah. so I was like, I will tell you freely that during the day that I got married, I did not cry during the ceremony. My very not crying oriented, my husband doesn't cry much. He got choked up during the ceremony. I did cry when I met Janet Fielding and when I met Michelle Nichols. <laughs> so, like, I think that tells you everything you need to know about me. Because she meant a lot to me. She was a woman, a woman in the TARDIS. And, look, how Doctor Who has been a promulgator of this idea that a cisgender white man will swoop in and save the day <laughs> all yeah. over the galaxy all through time. I mean... It's, you know, as the British Empire itself was declining, it's an interesting, it's kind of like I always think a lot about James Bond and Doctor Who. They don't ever form permanent attachments with other people. They just go around saving the world. I'm like, for for who? Yeah. Who's, who is seeing what's happening? So, look, we could get into the problematic history of, you know, Doctor Who on race, on representation of women, on who wrote it who directed it forever 
so there's just endless numbers of issues, but at the same time, it's very much, it's during the past 10 to 15 years, it's become the flagship of the BBC because they like money. If there's one (laughs) thing you can say about a television studio or television entity, they sure like them some money. And so I'm literally just as we're talking, I'm like, oh, I forgot I had this TARDIS pen. I have a TARDIS everything. I have many sonic screwdrivers. We do buy the merch. (laughs) We are those people. I have Matt Smith's doctor's fuzzy slippers, you know, or, or tweed slippers, I should say. But basically, Russell T. Davis came back in as the showrunner. He he ran it for the 2000 early aughts reboot that kind of, or not reboot, but new 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 iteration. And it matters, as I said in my book, that, that Russell is a gay man. You know, it yeah. matters to have that, you know, I think there was more, you know, UK TV, however difficult it is to make it in in US TV, it's harder in the UK because there are even fewer opportunities. It's very much a boys club. And so to even have, you know, Russell T. Davis, the creator of, you know, multiple shows with many queer characters, I think that's meaningful. So this is all a roundabout way for me to get to the specials in 2023. The one that came out this past fall, the first of the, the trio of specials w- with Tenant was the Star Beast. And I'm just going to say, Rachel Talalay, who directed it, is a friend of mine. <laughs> so, like, I'm biased. I thought it was really good. It was really fun. A lot of the plot revolves around how being non binary kind of saves the world. And, yeah. uh, you know, Donna Noble's, you know, Donald Noble is the companion that Tenant had back in his the first iteration of David Tennant's doctor had and then she comes back for these specials and it's very fun and they're very fun together and Donna's daughter is trans and so it's said I mean the thing is this is one of those things where I, I, I'm like I don't want to really opine on the, the star beast or the issue the, like I saw various reactions I basically went around looking for trans folks talking or writing about it because I'm like, I don't, I mean, in a way what I think has its place, but I'm not coming from the perspective of not seeing myself in this world. So the context that trans fans are looking at is different from mine. I will say this, the UK is especially transphobic. The world is transphobic, but the UK has a virulent strain of it. And it's my own personal theory that that's because the idea of social control and class mobility control. It's okay if the Monty Python characters dress up as women because they're upper class cisgender white men and we're going to have fun with it, whatever. Like You're going to laugh at it. You're going to laugh yeah. at it. You know, like it's, it's, it's a controllable thing that we can control your reaction to. Yeah. Actual trans people just existing and living their lives, it's it's very bad over there because a lot of high profile white cisgender feminists over time in on both sides of the pond, but especially over there, there's a a very strong contingent of of cisgender white women who are extremely high profile transphobes. Yeah. And so, so the, the issue of transphobia, transphobic trends in the UK is very, very serious and very bad. And I'm just going to say that I think that probably some people might, look at the treatment uh, of trans characters and trans storytelling within Doctor Who is perhaps 
if you're deeply versed in those issues, in those constructs and contexts, and you're trans yourself, you might say, that's a bit clunky. I mean, part of what I saw, I think, was like people saying, well, they mean well. You know what I mean? A little bit. Sure. So I'm not, I'm not passing judgment. I mean, I found it heartening. If others have issues with how some of the stuff played out in those specials, I'm willing to hold, I want to hold space for that. But what I really do think is this, in this climate for the first special, this very high profile special where David Tennant comes back, Donna Noble comes back. This is the primary flagship, one of the primary flagships of the BBC in the entire world was strongly a declaration of pro-trans allyship, I think. Yeah. And I think that matters. It does. Again, like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'd love to hear, and if you, if anyone has links, if anyone wants to hit me up on any social platform, send me, you know, deep dives, reactions, whatever. I, I'm open to that. I don't think I want to be the final authority on how that played sure. for people. But it was Donna's daughter, Yasmin's character, is important to the story, affects the story, drives the story. And I do think that in this particular time that we're living in, to make trans characters prominent and to proclaim allyship with non-binary people in a way that made many of the people I saw online feel seen and moved. I think I thought that that was really something. Yeah. That's what we need a lot more of. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know, again, I'm, I'm a chatty chatter, so we are probably way over on time, but I think we have had many instances in which we've said, there should be more trans creative people involved in all aspects of all pieces and there should be their prominence and importance to behind the scenes and on the screen should be far more pronounced and we need a lot more of it. But I, I'm willing to, as you do so beautifully, encounter on their own terms allies trying to further this cause of representation. Yeah, I have absolutely. time for people who are learning and who are trying, even if they make mistakes. Absolutely. If people have, you know, are good intentioned, but they don't get it quite right. That's that's great that you're trying. And, and those people are usually the ones also that are willing to hear you when you say this could have been mm-hmm. handled a little bit better. You know, I've had a talk with that. The time that happened that most recent, not most recently, but the time that sticks out most to me is I was on a podcast talking about why the last man and the mm. representation mm-hmm. of trans men therein, and how I felt that it was really good, but that so much more could have been done with it in a very way that ties into transness, and that I was very disappointed that it didn't do that. And to her credit, the showrunner, Eliza Clark, reached out to me after listening to that, and she said that you were right, and we could have handled X or Y a little bit better, and I'm so glad you brought that up, and we're really trying, and it's great. I talk to her all the time now on social media, and that's that's what we need. We need cis people who want to make it better and are willing to listen yes. and help help yes. us get there. So that's we need lots more people like that. So I was I was so heartened when she did that. She's so wonderful. And it doesn't hurt that we truly we, love television. We do. We just do. Yes, it's the best. And I've had that happen to me so many times in my career. You know, as much as I wrote a book that is titled "Burn It Down," which it's already like, on fire. You know, it's, 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 okay. it's a strong. It's a strong <laughs> statement. I was not like hedging. I've often had that happen to me where I write something and look, like, again, after you reach a certain amount of prominence, people like, I, I don't know, like, 
it sounds so gross. Please don't hate me. But like people know who I am. You know what I sure. mean? Like it's just yeah, sounds yeah. weird to say it. I don't know. Like a lot of a lot of people know who I am. It makes a difference. So look, I have to be very careful with my words and my yeah. There's not. I don't put everything online because sometimes I'm like, oh, I know the studio made them cut that character. I know. Mm-hmm. Like, there's right. a lot that's going on. There are so many people who want the feedback. It's it's yeah. so weird to me that I've sat across the table from established creative people who I know are millionaires or executives and they care. They care what people think. Yeah. And I think that that's what makes you not a sociopath, right? Hopefully, yeah, like, you know, absolutely. you care and listening. I think that that's so key. And the thing I don't get about the abusive and terrible people, oftentimes who are homophobic and or transphobic, these things are connected. I know they you're are not weird. Weird. Being a person, you want to call yourself creative, but you want to have a very fixed idea about what you know and how things work. And like, no, your creativity is not harmed by me offering my input. My input doesn't jive with what you want to do with your story. That's okay. But examine your intentions, examine the context. And that was the thing about barrier gaze. And this is the thing about trans representation. Learn the context, learn the context, which is mostly these characters haven't existed when they have existed. They're stereotypes, they're jokes, and they die. Absolutely. Please understand that that's the context. And if there's one thing I'm not going to do, it's let people get away with not knowing the context of the industry in which they work. <laughs> and I'm glad that no! you're out there not letting them do that. And just because no! it's always been that way, it doesn't mean it has to stay that way. In fact, yes. <laughs> well, Susan, thank you for summing up my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. I didn't need to say any words. No, honestly, that was perfect. Perfect note to end on. Okay, so what do we have in total across 31 movies and 43 seasons of television? In one year, I found 30 trans people, but two of them were in two different shows and two were in multiple seasons of the same show, which brings it down to 25 unique trans people. 20 confirmed trans characters, but two of those were in multiple seasons of the same shows which brings it down to 18 unique trans characters and 16 jokes about trans people. That's Mm -hmm. a little bit more trans rep and slightly more jokes about trans people than last year. Maybe a very slight improvement, but overall just about the same. And a lot of the good rep came from Heartstopper and Quantum Leap. If I didn't see those two shows, which totaled seven unique trans actors, think about how much worse those numbers would be. A large Mm -hmm. majority of the good trans representation I saw in an entire year was from two specific shows. If I didn't happen to see those, look where I'd be. And I'd like to include here a little quote from that article that Mo wrote that we talked about, because it's very, very important. Hollywood is way too quick to pat itself on the back for the smallest and most overdue steps forward when it comes to diversity, inclusion, and representation. And the industry is far, far too quick to let the backsliding begin. And when that backsliding does begin, as it has many times in the past, many who mouth easy platitudes instead of doing the real work of increasing diversity of the industry very easily and even reflexively turn a blind eye and return to the status quo. If that status quo was ever even seriously challenged and at too many networks and studios, it is not still. That's so well written, Mo. (laughs) So good. Thank you. Sadly, I feel like I could write that pretty much any year of my career right it's yeah 
And here's, that's from here's, 2017. I want to just throw out one more observation. I know the type of person that tends to succeed in the system. Someone who's very yeah. persistent, very dogged, very cis, very male, and very white for the most part. And I think what a lot of what we've talked about, and especially listening to you add up those totals, yeah. there's a lot of cisgender, heterosexual, white male panic about like when you when when most of the shows have a male perspective a cisgender perspective there's a lot of gay panic that has always existed in like oh is this is it queer if i like my friends is it like you know i mean these things are arising from the fact that the pool of creators is the same people and it's right only that's only being reinforced by these trends toward, well, we're, we're going to do IP. So go back and get this guy who did this show 18 years ago. Right. I do think there's many people who want to learn. I do think there's many people who have evolved. But if we keep picking the creators from the same small subset of humanity, I don't see this changing a lot going forward. And so we need to really keep keep pushing. Absolutely. If it's all being made by the same people, you're going to keep getting the exact same stuff. So. And it's, you know, the jokes that are funny. <laughs> yeah. They're not funny. No. They're, t- they're hacky. A lot of jokes that are biased are also, I'm like, really? That was not funny in 1998. Like, they offend so what me are we even doing as a here? writer, right? I'm like, you right? could write a better joke than that. Come on. That's the thing. They end up being so lazy. They're lazy. Just like, yeah. come on, put a little work bad. into this. Yes. Yeah, try so, so the broader representation in the medium is depressing. I don't know what else to say about the grim state of things here, so I'm going to close this one the exact same way I closed the 2022 trans rep episode. Trans people are human beings, and our media needs to do much better at trans representation. Art can change hearts and minds, and when all-out war is being waged against our right to exist, we need it now more than ever. Thank you so much for being here, Mo. This discussion was so good. So great. Let's just say it. Great. This was great fun. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. And as a reminder, cis friends, we trans writers, directors, and actors are out here. Hire us. Help us get through the door and get our stories told. We need you to help make it happen. Together we can turn this thing around and lots more good trans rep can change hearts and minds and make a real world impact in the lives of trans people and cis people alike. And also, like, we're amazing and you definitely want to work with us. Just ask me. I'm available. Tilly Bridges and Transmission. Tilly's Trans Tuesdays is hosted by Tilly Bridges and Susan Bridges with audio editing and sound mixing by Jillian Morgan. The Google Doc and social media versions of this week's topic and all past topics are available at Tilly'sTransTuesdays.com. Special thanks to Daisy and Jane for the use of Sorry Not Sorry as our show's theme music. Please stop by and show your support at daisyandjane.bandcamp.com and soundcloud.com slash daisy and jane you can find me at tilly bridges on blue sky twitter and hive on mastodon at tilly bridges at mastodon.social at facebook.com slash tilly s bridges and on insta and threads at heck yeah tilly bridges and you can find susan on most of those at susan l bridges you can find jillian at audio jillian on blue sky You can join the Tillyverse Discord server by following the link at the very bottom of Tillystranstuesdays.com. We hold regular watch parties for the Matrix films and other trans movies where I do a live Q&A, and it's blossomed into a wonderfully supportive, compassionate, kind community of friends. 
We'd love to have you join us. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.